Good morning, Digital Cathedral family. Thank you for being with me again, once again on this Sunday morning. I hope you're ready for part three of this teaching we've been doing about, and what we've titled it, The Gospel Without Doctrines. And I have to say, I have had lots of feedback on this one, most of it very positive, most of it looking uh, the same way, seeing what the Spirit of God is leading us into today, which I think is a depth of understanding about the love of God and how that love manifests in a lifestyle. So for this final teaching on the gospel without doctrines, I told you it'd be a three-part series. This is number three today. I want, I want you, to, whenever I say doctrine or theology or beliefs, I want you to hear the same thing. Now, there are some distinguishing marks I learned, you know, when I got my systematic theology degree, I learned there are shades of difference between doctrines, theology, and beliefs. But for the sake of this teaching, whenever I say one, don't, don't try to separate it off. Doctrines, theology, and beliefs are basically the same. And we know that the gospel, the word gospel means good news. Now, here's what's happened in our world today. Because we have 40-some thousand denominations, the good news has been clouded over by theology. And are, is theology important? Yes, it is. Are beliefs important? Yes, they are. But I think what the, what the Father is doing today is he's taking theology and doctrines and beliefs and setting them on the back burner, and he's beginning to move to the front burner some important truths that will bring us into the unity of the faith. In uh, Ephesians 4.13, the job of the fivefold ministry, one of, one of the functions is to bring us into unity of the faith. And when you look at the landscape today with 40,000 denominations, this looks like mission impossible. It looks like it's something that could never be fully accomplished, and yet I absolutely believe it can. Or I don't think Paul would have written that this was a charge from Jesus himself who appointed these five. These are not gifts of the Spirit. They're gifts that Jesus gave to the body. They're doma gifts, not charismas. And so I, when we look at this, I think we have to say all those things in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, and there's seven or eight of them, bring us into a perfect man to the measure, stature, the fullness of Christ. And the one that seems to have been ignored is that unity of the faith. But that's the one I feel that the spirit of truth is beginning to press on today. Um, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's weighing on me because I, I think when we have an understanding of grace, the finished work of the cross, unconditional love, mercy that endures forever, the inclusion of all, I think this idea of unity of the faith has, has got to begin to come forward. And I'm sensing it's not just a desire I have. I'm sensing that this is a prompting of the spirit of truth to start moving this to the forefront where before it has not been moved to that position. Now, what I've established, we went back and looked at the early church, and what I've established basically was <clears throat> from Acts chapter 2, for the first couple of hundred years, religion was not developed. It really wasn't highly visibly developed until the 400s when the councils begin to meet and, and a theology was etched out. But in the very beginning, the only proclamation that the early church made that set the world upside down and and thousands of believers, thousands of people were added to the church daily. The only proclamation they made was Jesus is Lord. And I think that is the one theological statement 
that I think a Baptist can agree on, a charismatic, a, a Presbyterian, a Lutheran, a Catholic. Jesus is Lord. He's the central figure of the gospel. And if you want to do a study of theology, theo-godology study of, if you want to study God, then look simply at Jesus. The proclamation that he's Lord, that he is that he is our, 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 our beginner and our ender of faith. And he's the one that sets the pattern and the prototype. And he's the master of our life. He's Lord. And the only proclamation that Jesus made that fits lifestyle and ethics is that we are to love one another, even as he has loved us. Now, just, just those two things bring the gospel into a very simplistic state. And I think this, this is what's going to bring us into a unity of the faith. I, it's really on my heart to carry this message out. And I plan on doing that. I'm going to take this out to the country, out to the nations, that we have the possibility of a unity of the faith if we can come to the conclusion, put our, put our particular theologies, you believe in a rapture, fine. You don't believe in a rapture, fine. You believe in baptism by immersion or by sprinkle, whatever. Put that on the back burner. And let's begin. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, not by your systematic theology, not by your belief systems, not by your doctrines, but because you have love one for another. And yet the distinguishing mark for most people who consider themselves a Christian, only one thing really matters. And that is getting your beliefs right. See, we've been, we've been sold a bill of goods that if you believe right, you'll live right. I spent, I spent over 30 years from 1969 up to about 2000 trying to work that system, trying to get people to believe right, to act right. And I'm going to talk a little bit about it as I unwind the teaching, but it was very frustrating because I didn't see the changes in the lives of people. I pastored some people 25, 30 years at that point, some longer after that point, and I didn't see change. They were the same person, same hang-up, same problems, same difficulties, went forward every week for deliverance and prayer for the same old things. But what we were taught was that right beliefs were the centerpiece of being a Christ follower. Make sure we prayed the prayer of salvation. Make sure that we were baptized, that we had a, a right view of end times, that our atonement theory was correct. And we believed in the inerrancy of the scriptures and we were to be evangelists. And all those things formed the beliefs around which we rallied and which every church in town rallies. The Baptists are over here because they believe this, and Presbyterians are over here, they believe this. And you got then you got the Charismatics, the Word of Faith Charismatics, you got the Pentecostal Charismatics, you know, you, you got 57 varieties of of everybody spread all over town. You got First Baptist on this corner, Second Baptist on this corner, because Second Baptist didn't agree with First Baptist, so they split. That's how we ended up with 40,000 denominations. Everybody was looking at scripture through a different lens, through a different interpretation. And what I learned from that is trying to nail down right beliefs out of the Bible is extremely difficult. It's led to 40,000 denominations. And all 40,000 feel that they have the, um, the angle on truth, the perspective on truth, and that they have a right belief system. And of course, all 40,000 say that their standard is the Bible and they believe the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God. And that's the foundation of their beliefs. Jesus warned us about that very thing. And I wanna say something that may, may kind of shock some of you, 
But in John chapter 5, in John chapter 5, and this is going to fit with where I want to go this morning, in John chapter 5 and verse 39 and 40, Jesus, Jesus says this. John chapter 5. I've got John 6. Let me back up one chapter. John chapter 5 and verse 39. He said, you search the scriptures. He's talking about the religious people. He's talking about the leaders of the day, the ones that really set the course for what was to be believed. He said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Any scripture, any, any doctrine, any belief doesn't testify of Jesus. See, we're coming back to the Lordship. It should point us to the Lordship of Jesus. That should be the function of scripture. It's not to, it's not to dig something out that's going to make me see and believe different than you. It should be bringing us back to this simplicity of testifying of him. And he said, you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. Man, that's a, that's a pot full of revelation, those two verses. Now, let me say this because I'm accused of this whenever I get into stuff like this. I always get messages about, well, you don't believe the Bible. No, I believe my Bible. And if you follow me teaching, I used 10, 12, 15 scriptures in a 45-minute teaching. I use my Bible extensively. But I'm, 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 I'm telling you that there is a shift that is going on. And the shift that is going on is starting, is giving the spirit of truth his rightful position. This is not the fourth member of the Trinity. It is not the absolute truth. Jesus said the spirit of truth would lead us into all truth. I value my Bible, love my Bible, read my Bible, use my Bible, teach from my Bible. But I'm telling you there's a change. The spirit of truth is beginning to take a prominent position that Jesus promised. And as the spirit of truth begins to, to move to the forefront, he's going to bring us back to some very simplistic things of such as Jesus is Lord, and that we're to love one another the way that Jesus loved us. And that's going to take some, some primary position. And as it does, this is where your grace teaching is going to come in, and the grace that's been settled in. As that does, we're going to have to give people latitude to grow. Now, what we've heard pretty much in the church is, you, you, you have to have this. And I'm, I like this. And, and the, the line of thought has been, if you just listen to that voice within, it can lead you into error. You're going to miss it. We haven't trusted the spirit of truth. We haven't trusted that inner voice. We haven't learned how to develop it. And here at the Digital Cathedral, that's one of the things we really emphasize is learning how to go within to discern truth for yourself. Because I believe that you can hear just as well as I can hear or any you know big name teacher that's on TBN or whatever Christian network is out there floating around, I think you can hear just as good as the prophet that comes to your church. Now, there's a place for apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, but there's also a place for the spirit of truth to take priority in your life and for you to learn to trust it. It's, it should take this, this should point to what the spirit of truth is teaching. I don't, I don't take what the spirit of truth is and try to figure it out with this. We got that bass backwards. We should be hearing the spirit of truth. And as we read our Bible, we go, oh my goodness. Yeah, right there it is. I, I, that's what he's been saying to me. I don't know how many times I teach at the digital cathedral and people will message me saying, I've been hearing the same thing. I've been here, but I haven't been hearing it taught any place. And it's not that I have any special insight or revelation. It's just that I, I hear. Jesus said his sheep hear his voice. I hear his voice. 
Most of the testimony is I don't hear his voice. No, Jesus said you hear his voice. And then you say, no, I don't hear his voice. Jesus said his sheep hear his voice. Get that down as a foundation. But where we're going in the next, next few years uh, is going to be a total reliance on the spirit of truth bringing us into truth. Because the way that we've been going, well, Jesus, if we're, the way we're going is right, then Jesus must have said something like this. By their beliefs, you shall know them. Or, this is my command, that you have a right doctrine. Or, behold, the new systematic theology I give unto you. He didn't say those things. Or maybe Paul should have said, though I speak with the, the tongues of men and of angels, and have not the right theory of atonement, I have become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. Or maybe James could have said, true religion is this, that you have a right concept of spiritual authority. Or maybe John should have said God is a doctrine and those who have the correct beliefs abide in God and God abides in them. None of those things were ever said. There's nothing like that to be found in Scripture. Those are priorities that we have based, um, based our positions on. And again, nothing wrong with theology, nothing wrong with beliefs, nothing wrong with doctrines. But there's a shift that is taking place in the planet and it is to bring full exposure to Jesus and what brings full exposure to Jesus are not right doctrines but a lifestyle that Jesus said we would live so if if you hold to an accepted set of beliefs and this is why most people do we go to the church we find out what the church believes and you know if it's everything that we've always been taught then we we're good and when you believe the accepted beliefs and the rituals then you're orthodox they call you an Orthodox Christian, and nobody wants to be outside the Orthodox box. Conformity to a traditionally accepted doctrine, be it right or wrong, that is considered Orthodox. And so anytime you get outside of that, as important as beliefs are, they're not the essential, unchanging, defining feature of Christianity. So let me just read it out of, out of your book for you. John chapter 13, John chapter 13. See, being orthodox just means that you've accepted, in some cases you've accepted a bunch of junk that's been going on for generations. Nobody questioned it. Here's the, here's the mark, John 13, verse 35. By this will all know, by everybody, believer, non-believers, society, culture, this man, this is the tool of evangelism. This is this is what we need to be speaking about. By all by this, all men will know. Not by chick tracks. Not by four spiritual laws. Not by taking you down the road of evangelism explosion. He said, "By all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another." Now, there's not a theological persuasion on the planet that can do that. There's not a theological persuasion on the planet that can come as a witness to all that you are the disciples of Jesus, yet Jesus gave us the key. You really want to impact people? You want to change lives? Jesus right there tells us exactly how to do it. <coughs> Jesus wasn't particularly impressed by those that said the right things or, or just believed a doctrine. He wasn't impressed by that. In Matthew chapter 7, that part of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, the Constitution of the Kingdom, Jesus, Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. 
Are you ready? Jesus was not impressed just because people could mouth, could put, could put words to what everybody was believing. That's what we got going on in the church today. You're taught to mouth what everybody else is believing, which is an orthodox faith of believing certain things that create your doctrine. And then it, it, it moves out to Christology, Soterology, uh, Bibliology. Uh, there's 10 different, 10 different compartments of systematic theology. And I, I read those to you in verse 1. This is what I studied when I went, went to the preacher factory. So they, they instilled in me these 10 different areas and what the Church of the Nazarene believed about those 10 areas. So when I got, when I got out of school as a young pastor, I just parroted those things. I pounded on those things. I didn't question it. Who was I at, at the time as an 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old kid to question a gray-haired PhD that was teaching me this, the facets of the systematic theology that my church believed? So when I when I was sent to when I took my first church, little church, little town up in Wisconsin, what I did was as I taught those beliefs, I thought they were exactly right, and so I was I was passing it down to the next generation. So orthodox simply means long accepted. And the long accepted, I tell you what, the spirit of truth, when we begin to trust him, is going to show us that some of those things are absolutely fictitious, that they're not right. That's why I wrote the book Hell's Illusion. Spirit of truth began to show me this is a false doctrine. This is not right. Jesus never taught. The word hell's not in there. Jesus never even used the word hell. And I don't want to get into that, but the doctrine of hell, of eternal conscious torment, is an orthodox, is an orthodox belief in the church. It's accepted. And so people fight tooth and nail to hold on to something that is totally wrong. I wrote the book Religion Busters, and I take 12 or 13 different positions like age of accountability and the dictation theory of, of scripture. I, I take the, the, some of the areas that we've always been taught and say, look, where, where is this? this? This is not right. Now in doing that, I've, I've caught some flack. I got pushback. And that's just, that comes with the territory. It really does. Comes with the territory. All right, where, where were we here? We're talking about Jesus not being impressed with what people said, just saying the right things. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he said, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now remember, the kingdom is within. We're not talking about something out there beyond the Milky Way. The kingdom is within. All right? But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonderful works in your name? Got a good doctor, man. We got this belief system. We're, we're, we got it moving. And then I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, what is lawlessness to Jesus? It's not the 613 laws of Moses. The, the law to Jesus, well, I, I, I read one verse from Matthew chapter 13, verse 35. Let me come back and just read verse 34. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 34. Jesus says this. Matthew chapter, is that right, 13? Matthew chapter 13 and verse 34. That, some, oh, John, what am I saying Matthew? It's John chapter 13. John's got such good insight 
about the things that Jesus spoke. John chapter 13, I was looking at Matthew 13, 34, and it was not making sense. Now here's, he said, you who work lawless, depart from me, you who work lawlessness. What was lawlessness to Jesus? He tells us what the law is, John 13, 34. He said, a new commandment I give to you, right, a commandment. If you break the commandment, you're breaking the law, it's lawlessness. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So what is lawlessness to Jesus? Lawlessness to Jesus is not keeping the one command, not loving one another. So no matter all, all of the right beliefs that you have, it doesn't make it, it doesn't really matter. Now Jesus, I think, I think that's pretty straightforward. I think that's pretty direct. Jesus wasn't impressed by those that said the right things or said we practice the right things. He, he went on just a little bit further. Let me go back to Matthew chapter 7 and let, let me read verses 21, 22, and 23. Jesus was not about the outward demonstration. He was not about the outward show. He's not wasn't about that whatsoever. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse, verse 21, right? Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. One more page, J.D. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who, who says they're there, they'll enter the kingdom of heaven. This is very direct, right? He said, but it's him who does the will of the Father. He said, if you don't keep the law, we just looked at what the law was. That's pretty direct. It's pretty straightforward. Many of, many of us today look at that and we say, well, that, that's, not, that's not my group. It's not my denomination. It's the other 39,999. That's not mine. They've totally missed it. We're over here. We got it right. They've missed it. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure glad that we're not like those evildoers over there because Jesus said they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And usually that means you're not going to spend eternity in heaven. That's not the thrust at all. Let me, let me look at that, Pat, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to verse 23. Let me put it in the context of today. <laughs> this is going to shake some of you. Let me put it into today. Not everyone who believes in the Nicene Creed <laughs> is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who believes in being born again. Not everyone who said the magic prayer. Not everyone who speaks in tongues, who's spirit-filled. Not everyone who believes in papal authority or inerrancy of the scriptures or water baptism by immersion that will necessarily enter the kingdom of heaven. The, listen to me carefully. The kingdom is within. The kingdom is not a theology. The kingdom is a lifestyle. It is a way to be lived out. Now he's, he tells us that in Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, 22, 23, not, not everyone who says Lord will enter. So now he, he takes this up a notch. Right? The kingdom is a lifestyle. I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. It is a lifestyle. So Jesus brings it in, in that seventh chapter of Matthew, Jesus takes it up a notch and he tells us about this a little bit more. And I want you to listen to this stuff, man. Let this sink in. In Matthew chapter 7 verse 24, he just got done telling us in verses 17, in, in there, uh, that not everybody that, that mouths the right words, that is, that's not where it's at. Not everybody that mouths the right doctrines today, that's not where it's at. He picks it up in, in uh, Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. 
Now watch what he says. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. He's not talking about um, building a, a dwelling place. He's talking about a life, building a life on the rock. Now he's going to tell, he tells us right out how we begin to do that. He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples because you love one another. Now he gets into, see, that's living. That, that's not a theology. That's not a doctrine. That's a lifestyle, loving one another like Jesus loved us. He carries it further. He's, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, as I said, is the constitution of the kingdom. It tells us how to live this out, how to put boots on the ground, how to make an impact on our world, how people will know we're disciples. And not one thing in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is about doctrine or theology. It's about the way that we live. Whosoever hears these saying in mind and does them, I will like to a wise man that builds a life on me, Jesus speaking. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house. It didn't fall because it was founded on the rock. So Jesus is saying, if you want to manifest this, then you, you take what I say and you simply respond to it. Now, I'm the first guy to tell you the spirit of truth and the Holy Spirit is going to have to enable us and empower this to do this. I'm not talking about a work of the flesh. I'm not talking about you doing something uh, under your own ability. And he said, everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, and the sayings was, you love one another, I've loved you, that's my saying. He said, if you don't do that, he said, the, your life, and he goes on and he uses the analogy, the rains descend and the floods rise and the house falls, the life, the life falls apart. The first word in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 is everyone. This is inclusive of everybody. everybody anybody who does this, the hearers immediately can see how radical this teaching is. People that are hearing this are people that are, are fixated on a correct doctrine. Jesus takes that fixation on a, on a correct theology and he moves it over here and says, wait a minute, here's what, here's what really counts. You hear what I say and you do it. Verses Again, verse 24 to 27 is about living life. It's about building a strong life. They obsessed, those who are hearing this, obsessed over, over, over uh, observation of feast days, over fasting, tithing, public displays. Jesus was not impressed with that. And Jesus is not impressed today when we roll out this theology, this doctrine that has been passed down for generations, but it's having no effect on our world. Absolutely no effect. Thank God for church fathers, but church fathers that are being quoted today is not affecting radical change. It's just simply not. So Jesus went to the interchange that has to take place. Theology and doctrines, this is my experience. This, this is me speaking. <laughs> Correct doctrine and theology when we hold to it tends to change our behavior a little bit, but there's no interchange. So after a while, you burn out on it. People would pray the prayer, come to the altar, ball and squall, their eyes out, repent of all their sins, accept Jesus into their heart, <clears throat> ask him to come in. Where they're asking him to come from, when I look back, I have no clue. But they asked Jesus into their heart. Six months later, I don't know where they're at because it, it didn't change them. 
And Jesus addresses that in Matthew chapter 23. So let's go over to Matthew chapter 23. All of this <clears throat> circles around, you can believe right, you can think right, you can have right theology, but if the life doesn't match, if you're not following what Jesus said, there's no lasting change. Now here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. He said, woe to you, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, and he calls them hypocrites. That's a strong word. He said, for you cleanse the outside of the cup. How do you cleanse the outside of the cup? Perfect doctrine, perfect theology. It, it, it looks good. It, it creates an atmosphere where we have to act a certain way or we're judged. See, it makes a hypocrite out of us because we have this theology, we have this doctrine, this set of standards. And we can't keep them. Nobody's kept The pastor doesn't keep them. But when we come to church, we appear perfect. The outside looks good. He said, but inside, you're full of extortion and self-indulgent. He said, blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish that the outside then may be clean. What is, what's he saying here? He's saying this interchange. And this is, this, I'm bringing you back to grace. Grace is the launch pad of this. We will never love one another like Jesus loved us if you're not a gracer. You're not a gracelet. You got to get grace down. Grace is that divine influence that produces effortless change as we rest in Him. And the effortless change that comes into your life is by grace is an interchange. It's not cleaning the outside of the cup. It enables you to come with the dirty outside of the cup because the, the transformation is coming from within and eventually will have an effect on the outside. But again, the church has taken this in reverse. We thought if we could get people to believe right, have a right theology, a right belief system, a right doctrine, that it would change them. It didn't change them. It made them a hypocrite because there was no cleaning of the inside of the cup first. So we went off into holiness and added more works. Don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew. Don't run with folks that do. Don't go to the movies. You know, don't dance. All that stuff. And it does not affect the change of anybody. Here's what I'm saying this morning. Here's what I'm saying. It's not a problem having wrong beliefs. We don't need a new belief system. What we need is a new way of believing. We need a new emphasis on what we are believing. Jesus gave us the priority. He gave us the emphasis. He said, seek first the kingdom. Again, the kingdom is a way of living. It is not a perfected theology. The kingdom is not a perfected doctrine. Jesus taught us the kingdom, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and the whole thing has to do with the way we live our life. Now, Jesus came full of grace and truth. The way we live our life is a product of the inner working of grace and truth as the spirit of truth reveals it to us. He can't reveal it faster than we, can, than we can gobble it down. He can't give us more than we can handle. Jesus said, I got a lot of things to tell you guys, but you can't handle it yet. I believe the spirit of truth has a lot of things to tell us, but we can't handle it yet. And one of the things he's begun to tell us is, I need the world to know you're my disciples. It's, I need evangelism, but I don't need it the old way. I need it by the demonstration of love that you have one for another. And Jesus said, by this, everybody's going to know who you, who's you belong to. They're not going to know who you belong to by your, by your atonement theory. 
by your eschatology. That we've gone down that road, guys. It doesn't cut. It doesn't cut it. The essence of our faith is something other than a list of opinions and propositions and statements that our particular group has put together and really can't prove. I mean, if you're going to try to prove it out of the Bible, you can prove Calvinism out of the Bible. You can prove Arminian out of the Bible. You can prove Universalism out of the Bible. See, it's not, it's not getting a proof text for what you believe. We've, the, the problem is those beliefs have never been challenged until the last few years, and some of us are coming out of the church. Many of you have emptied out of the church, and I believe, I believe that's, that's God's doing. I'm going to tell you why. I believe it's God's doing because he's teaching us to be dependent on the spirit of truth, and as long as you're within the system, and I know there's some good churches out there. I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush right now. There's some good churches out there. I've been to some of them, taught in some of them. They're, I'm not saying this is true of every church, but generally speaking, it was true of the church I pastored, that when you're inside of that, that, that system, you're indoctrinated. You're taught, a, you're taught what to believe. And anytime you come outside of that, you challenge it, you're separated off as being rebellious, right? It's not the new system we believe, need. It's a new way of, of, of seeing. It's a new way of, of believing. It's getting a priority of seeking first the kingdom of God. And when you seek first the kingdom of God, the first thing to be established, Jesus is Lord. Second thing going to be established is that we love one another as he's loved us. That moves you into the kingdom and enables you and empowers you through the Spirit to be able to do the sayings of Jesus. So anytime you stay in that system and you, and you, you question, you doubt, uh, you reject, that puts you outside the box. That puts you outside the system and you become unorthodox and you become what is called a heretic. A heretic is simply one that doesn't adhere to orthodox. Or in some cases, you know, I'm called a false teacher. Um, I could get on the internet and find my name for you and I'm listed with Groups of people call false teachers. I'm the guy that your pastor says stay away from. That's me. I'm the guy your pastor says stay away from. I used to tell people stay away from that, stay away from that. Stay. That's, that's not trusting the spirit of truth to guide that person. I came to the conclusion. Let me just give you a, a quick testimony. I came to the conclusion, you know, 25 years ago that my system of beliefs was not working. And what led me to that belief was I looked at people in my church that had been there forever. They would file in, file out, drop their tithe check off into the plate every week when it was passed by, maybe come Sunday night, Wednesday night, be part of a home group. They did the whole thing, but their life was not changed. They were no different. They still had hangups and problems and difficult, the same ones that they'd had for years and years and years. I begin to look at my belief system. The first thing that I think I really got outside the box on was the was the rapture. I ruptured the rapture in the early 90s. And let me tell you something, that stirred things up because the rapture was the orthodox belief of the circle we were involved in. We were a non-denominational, you know, full gospel, charismatic, Pentecostal, however you want to define it. That's what, that's what I had established. 
And so that's that's a that's a centerpiece, the rapture. So when I ruptured the rapture, it caused a difficulty. Later on, a little later in the 90s, I took 1 John 4, 17 that says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this present world. Nobody had it, nobody was quoting as Jesus is, so are we in this present world. Nobody was teaching on that because it, 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 it puts you way outside the box. It was not an orthodox belief. And I began to, to stir the pot again. It caused, it caused me some problems because along with that, I took a whole year. I did 52 messages on as he is, so are we in this world. And I took it apart. How is Jesus? And I got into things of we're joint, we must be joint heirs. We must be a partaker of the divine nature. I began to see there's no such thing as an endemic nature or a fallen nature. Jesus never taught it. It's nowhere to be found in the Gospels. Then at the turn of the century, I hit grace without works. Grace apart from works. I hit the fatherhood of, of God of all people. And I began to talk about the finished work of the cross and inclusion. And I dug out mercy that endures forever, time after time after time after time in the Bible. And that led me to begin to question this doctrine of hell. Those were all outside of Orthodox Christianity, and I paid a price for it. I paid a heavy price for, for, for what I did. In, 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 2000, in 2000, you have to remember, I'd been pastoring for over 30 years in the year 2000. I was trained, I was schooled, I, I practiced, and in a real sense, I was very, I, like I, I wasn't a hypocrite those 30 years, I was very sincere. And I felt my job description for those first 30 years of ministry, first 30 years of pastoring, was to advance and teach the system of beliefs that I embraced, to impress and imprint on people my theology, to disciple new people into the system. And I was good at it. When somebody came forward and prayed the prayer, received Jesus and repented of all their sins, and you know, water baptized, and they wanted to join the church, They, I put them in a six-week discipleship class, membership class. And during that six weeks, taught them everything they needed to believe to be a good Christian. What I was doing was taking my set of beliefs, imprinting it on them, using the Bible to verify it. Never taught them to hear the spirit of truth for themselves. Never taught them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Never boiled things down to Jesus, his Lord, and learn how to love one another like he loved us. Had very sophisticated, systematic theology and doctrinal system that I would take during that six-week time, brother. And by the time they got, they dropped off the end of the assembly line, they moved down the line, I'd stick this on, and next week stick that on. By the time they got to the end of the assembly line, all the parts I put on them and dropped off, they were a good church member. They fully fit right into the system. But in, in, in the year 2000, I was, I was conflicted. I was questioning because what I was seeing, I couldn't unsee. When I saw a grace, I couldn't unsee. When I saw a grace, I couldn't go back to hammering people to do better, to try better, to do more, to be, to be stronger. I, I couldn't do it. The new, the new wine did not fit into the old, old wineskin. You know what Jesus said? He said, new wine belongs in a new wineskin. I, I could not fit in to that system any longer. So I faced a dilemma. And I'm, I'm saying this because some of you are facing a dilemma. Here's the dilemma I faced. 
I either keep teaching things that I no longer believe, that I no longer have strong conviction about, or I drop a bomb in the middle of what I had built for over 30 years. And that's, a, that's a, one of the conflicts pastors face today. There are, there are pastors I get messages from, I'm working with, that know that what we're talking about here at the Digital Cathedral is absolutely right. But here's what they say to me. They say, Don Keithley, if I teach this, I'm going to lose my church. And some of them are denominational people like Assembly of God, Church of Christ. And so they can be fired, you know. My church was non-denominational. People voted with their feet. And many of them did. But they're afraid that if they come out, if they come out of the revelation closet, they're going to lose everything they've had their whole life. They're going to lose their pension program. So I had a dilemma. Do I keep teaching things and finish out my, my career the next you know, 15, 20 years, whatever, without conviction to hold the system together? Or do I drop a bomb in the middle of the church? And I remember the Sunday that I stood before my church and said, I'm beginning to see things that I've never seen before. I'm beginning to believe things I never believed for. And I hope you'll have patience with me as we develop in this. I remember the day I walked out hundreds of, of cassette tape, CD teachings, hundreds of books out to the dumpster. Just, I had to unload all of that. This, this, some of you are at that juncture. This is why I'm teaching this. Lordship of Jesus, love one another. Some of you are at the juncture. You're at the same dilemma with your family, with your church, with your friends. And you're, you're wondering, do I, do I go along to get along? Do I keep impressing on doctors? Or do I come out of the revelation closet and be who I really am? Right? There's, there's, a, there's a name for people who, who act one way but believe another way. It's called a hypocrite. And I did not want to be that guy. So you're, you're at a crossroads in your spiritual life. Many of you that are listening here at the Digital Cathedral, we pick up new listeners every week. You're crossroads in your spiritual life, and it's this. Do you stay with the old beliefs that no longer resonate? You're seeing things you, you can't unsee. You, you know you're, you know they don't fit what you're seeing. So what, what do you do? Do you stay with it, number one? Or number two, do you try and perfect your beliefs by deconstructing the old and building something new in? I'm not a big fan of deconstruction. I've, I've seen too many people wreak havoc with this thing called deconstruction. It's where you, where you abandon beliefs, you prove them wrong, and there's nothing there then to have as a foundation. Here's what, here's, when light comes in, darkness goes. My experience was this. I never deconstructed anything. What happened was, when the spirit of truth began to show me truth, then the lie was dismissed. But I had the truth to stand on. I don't see that in deconstruction. I see people deconstructing before they have a foundation to stand on, before the spirit of God has, showed, has shown them the truth that they need to, to hold true. Or number three, do you go for something deeper than beliefs? Do you go for something deeper than doctrine? And that's what this little three-part series is about. What's deeper than doctrine, what's deeper than theology, is simply the proclamation that Jesus is Lord. This is, we're coming back to Acts. I've heard all kinds of teachings about the church reverting back to the book of Acts, but I've never heard it narrowed down. 
by someone saying, we can take our doctrines, we can take our theology, set them on the back burner, and if we're going to impact our world the way they impact it in Acts chapter 2 and the way that Jesus told us we would, we're going to have to come down, we're going to have to distill this down to Jesus is Lord and love one another as I've loved you. The difference in a Baptist, the difference in a Catholic, the difference in a Methodist or a Pentecostal is a variation of beliefs. They have a different doctrinal position. Some have traditions longer than others. Some have moved in their beliefs. The Methodist Church today is undergoing a gigantic split over, over um, ordination of gays and gay marriage. There's going to be a split to a progressive and a, and a traditional church. I read the other day by one of those that are holding to the tradition that John Wesley would turn over in his grave if he seen what the Methodist Church had become today. See, there will never be a unity of the faith. There will never be a coming together or a, a one mature man, what Ephesians 4, 12 and 13 calls unto a perfect man, which is a mature man, if we're going to hold the theology and the preeminence of a doctrine. It just ain't going to happen, guys. It just isn't going to take place. They, doctrines and theology will always divide us. Now, are beliefs important? Yeah, they're important for you. But the whole world does not have to believe like you believe. I have to have enough grace to give somebody that is on the journey that maybe doesn't see it like I do. I have to give them grace enough to be able to develop and mature. And by the same token, if I don't see it like they see it, they need to extend to me the grace that I can mature and I can become different, maybe perhaps in a way that I, I see things. But it's on the back burner. It's, over, it's in the rearview mirror. It's, it's not number one, two, or three on my priority list. The, the important things, Jesus is Lord and we love one another. When you read, when you read, we've made, we have made doctrine the preeminent thing. When Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 and 19 said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. He has anointed me not to get a belief system, not to get a theology. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. What's the gospel to the poor? That you don't have to be poor no more. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He's sent me to release the captives. None of that is about doctrine or theology. It's about walking out a daily life. Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19 is about demonstrating love to other people, in Jesus' case, that the Father had for him. He's demonstrating the love that the Father had to him. Jesus fleshed it out for us and said, if you're going to love one another, you're going to set captives free. You're going to preach deliverance and 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 sight to the blind. You're going to give the poor the gospel. You're going to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, which is the restoration of everything that's been lost. There's no theology in that. There's no doctrine in that. It's a lifestyle. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11, 12, and 13, when, when the fivefold ministry is assigned a task, there's no theology in that. There's not a doctrine in that. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's an impartation of lifestyle bringing maturity, bringing unity, right? It's all about lifestyle. People today are hearing what the spirit of truth is saying. People are bailing out of churches in droves. Church attendance is the lowest that it's ever been in recorded history because they're seeing, they're, they may not have put it to words. I'm putting words to it. The reason people are coming out is they can't hold to the old belief system, the old theology, the old doctrine. 
They haven't, some haven't realized it yet, but there's a shift in emphasis that is going on throughout the planet. And it started with grace, finished work, inclusion. There's a shift that's going on. It's taking us away from the priority, the preeminence of theology, and bringing it over here to a lifestyle to a, a walking out, to putting boots on the ground to this message that we preach. Amen? So we got to give a liberal amount of grace to people to grow in this. Uh, with people with different points of view. The Bible says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And I, I'm, I'm, truth be told, we're all on the front end of this. And what we've got to do is to walk like Jesus walked, which is full of grace and truth. And the truth is this. We're to love one another as he loved us. The grace and demonstration is simply Jesus is Lord. And however somebody defines that. Jesus is Lord to a Baptist is different than Jesus is Lord to a Catholic. So the Baptist, if he thinks his view is deeper, he's going to have to give some grace. That's why you got grace now. To that Catholic to come along. Or if the Catholic looks at the Baptist and says, I need to give you some grace so that you can come along. But it doesn't, it doesn't shake our priority. You know, for, for, for me, the basics of the faith are this. Grace with no works. The fatherhood of God of all. One God and Father who is above all, through all, and in all. Uh, inclusion, finished work, includes everybody. Now, I know everybody's not going to see it the way I see it on this. I'm, I'm too wide for many people. I believe in mercy without end. I don't, I don't think mercy that endures forever ends when you die. Am I willing to die on that hill? Absolutely not. The hill I'm willing to die on at this point, what I'm seeing is Jesus is Lord and love one another. We've seen the kingdom, guys. We've seen the kingdom. We've examined it. We've evaluated it. We've processed it. Uh, we've seen the priority of its, that Jesus put on it as seeking first. Now what we're needing is through our life, we need the fruit for it to emerge and be lived out. So you're going to have to boil this thing down. I'm boiling it down. We're positioned to enter the kingdom with the proclamation. Jesus is Lord and we love one another, right? No exceptions. Make it our lifestyle like Jesus. We, Jesus walked this planet full of grace and truth. And there's going to be people that walk this planet in the same two priority with grace and truth. They're going to be so filled with grace and truth that their eschatology is not going to matter. I see people debate over preterism I, and divide over it, argue about it, write books about all different kinds of things that are just minutia of what the priorities are to be. And I think the shift is coming. The shift is here. And we begin, are beginning to transcend beliefs. We're beginning to transcend doctrines and theology that have been entrenched for generations. Jesus is Lord. And my proclamation to you today is learn to love one another as he loved us. Take it as far as you can take it, knowing that you can't make this happen on your own. It's a work of the Spirit. It's a work of grace within us that will enable us, just like Jesus, to embrace everybody. Jesus embraced everybody, whether it was Zacchaeus, whether it was the prostitute, whether it was Matthew the tax collector, Jesus embraced them all. How did he do that? Because he was loving them as the Father loved him. 
and by doing that, giving us a demonstration of how it is to look. All right, God bless you. I think that's enough for today. Let me say, if you haven't picked up a copy of my latest book, Barking Up the Wrong Tree, you need to get a copy of it. It's going to teach you how to live from the tree of life. It's going to teach you how to tap into the resources of the kingdom like maybe you've never learned before. It's a short book. It's only about 80, 90 pages. But I'll tell you what, it's packed full of revelation and truth. Pick this book up. Also, we're doing an important conference in January. Uh, if you haven't registered yet for the Journey One, this will be the first one with Steve McVeigh, Malcolm Smith, and myself. We're going to do a Zoom only. You don't have to buy a plane ticket, get a hotel, rent a car, buy food, comfort your own living room, cup of coffee. You can hear 170 years of ministry experience, and we're going to talk to you about the journey that we have made. This is Journey One. I'm hoping we do Journey Two, Journey Three, Journey Four. 170 years of ministry experience. I think you can pick up something from the, the, the Zoom conference. It's listed on my page. The, the registration is listed on the Don Keithley ministry page. Also, if you haven't picked up the book, I just got to pitch this one, Religion Busters. I talk about busting religion today. I pick up 12, 13, 14 doctrines that have been traditionally held in the church and I just dissect them. I bust them. Like the Ghostbusters busted the ghosts out of house, I'm busting some of the fallacies that we've held on to, like age of accountability, dictation theory of inspiration of scripture. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. And I think this is a great group study. You want something for your group? It's, it's a little more, it's like a couple hundred pages. If you want, to, want a book to take, you can go through chapter by chapter in your home group and create discussion. This baby will do it for you, all right? Religion Busters, of course, Hell's Illusion. We totally dismantle that sucker. And when that, when that sucker is dismantled, perfect love casts out all kind of fear that people have had of that doctrine. All right, God bless you guys. That's enough for today. I love all of you. See you Wednesday night at the Secret Place, back next Sunday morning here at the Digital Cathedral. See you then.